Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest has a deep understanding of nonverbal communication and the perception of leadership presence. She is a sought-after trainer and speaker working with a wide range of organizations, including Facebook, Google, and numerous AM100 law firms, DLA Piper, Morgan Lewis, and White and Case, to name a few. She's worked extensively with lawyers and legal professionals and was a main session speaker at the 2018 Clock Symposium. The founder and president of Speech Skills, Kara Hale Alter, welcome to Left Foot. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Nicole. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Kara. Let's jump right into our questions. You have spent two decades studying why some people project credibility and others don't. How did you get started in this area? Well, my first degree is in speech communications, and then I have an MFA in theater. And it was actually when getting my MFA in theater that I began to develop this line of thinking that there's a tendency to think that the image that we project is very subjective and based on very nuanced or indefinable criteria. But in the acting world, when an actor creates a character, the behaviors that they create produce a very predictable assessment. So if an actor wants someone to see them as inefficient or friendly or personable, it's very predictable that that is exactly the result that will come across. And that became a very interesting conversation for me, that how might we do take this to the business world to recognize that the image that you project, it doesn't have to be quite so nebulous and mysterious as you might think. Certain behaviors lead to very predictable assessments on the part of the listener. And that is true with leadership presence, with looking credible and confident, that we respond very very predictably to certain signals. And so why not do them on purpose? How do you work with professionals? How do you help them gain credibility? Of course, in today's world where there's digital communication and I find that face-to-face communication is so important and so much more important because so much of our communication is digital. How do you work with professionals and help them with this skill? I think it's important for people to be aware of what behaviors do lead to an assessment of either higher status or trustworthiness or leadership presence. And so the first stage is to to be very clear about what behaviors lead to what types of assessments. Most attorneys that I work with are really interested in having a nice balance between being authoritative on the one side to being approachable on the other. And so being very specific about, okay, what behavior would lead to an assessment of authority and what behavior would lead to an assessment of approachability. So it first starts with just more information. And then the next stage is awareness. Almost always, if people are not coming across as they hope, or maybe not showing off their potential or their expertise, it's because they're doing a behavior that they may be blind to that's undercutting their credibility. And so having more awareness about your individual behaviors and how they're either serving you or not serving you is very helpful. Many times people can change a behavior immediately if they are just simply made aware that it is not being effective. What are the most common behaviors that are throwing professionals off, specifically lawyers? Is it standing up straight? Is it their speech patterns? What are the most common that you see in your work specifically with legal professionals? 
Well, every one of us has our strengths and our areas for improvement, and, and that's different for every person. But there are really three categories of behaviors that people should be doing that would be a definite, have a positive impact on their ability to have influence and presence. And then there are two primary behaviors that are very, very prevalent out there that we shouldn't be doing, that we should be watching out for. The positive behaviors are having strong posture, strong voice, and strong eye contact. And by strong posture, I mean literally having a strong spine and a level head and making sure that there is strength that you carry yourself with a certain core strength that has a positive image on whether or not you appear to have personal power. For strong voice, having a rich resonant voice Well, it's not accidental that we describe someone who has great influence as having a powerful voice. This is a huge cue, but the simplest of skills there would be simply to speak at optimal volume, to make sure that you can clearly be heard. And then when it comes to eye contact, making sure that you really see the person that you're speaking to, that when you have enough personal discipline to not be focusing on yourself, but to really see the person that you're speaking to, well, they like you better. They hold you in higher regard. So those are the three positive, most important places to focus. Posture and whether that's sitting back in a chair or when you're standing to have your feet squarely on the ground. I hope most professionals have heard that if their posture is not strong, that there is a need there. Volume, I think we all have to, to work on that. It, it, of course, is changes as you grow around the world. I'm working with a lot of global resources, and that's something we, we definitely see the differences in. But I have to say the one that's most intriguing to me is what is the right amount of eye contact? Can you share a hint for our listeners? I read somewhere that your service levels in restaurants and hotels and with any service team member, no matter what level, will be vastly improved if you look the person in the eye. For a year, I've used this method to see people and actually see them in their roles. I'm always wondering, how long should I keep that eye contact? Is there a rule or a hint of how long in a business situation one should keep their eye contact? Yes. First of all, around the globe, there are cultural differences with eye contact. So of course, we should be sensitive to the environments we go to and the cultures that we are interacting with. But even within that cultural difference, holding eye contact with someone for about three to five seconds at a stretch is considered warm and relaxed. It's a good connection. How long to hold eye contact with someone completely depends on the situation and the relationship. I would say that that three to five seconds should be a minimum if you want to look like you're just very comfortable and engaged. And that would be three to five seconds per person if you have several people in front of you. Almost always when people get the impression, well, we are afraid that if we hold eye contact too long, (laughs) that it will come across as either aggressive or creepy or something (laughs) that wouldn't be inappropriate. But I will say that the actual cue that crosses the line is not how long we hold the eye contact. It's our facial fluidity. It's our interactivity. Because if you look at someone with a blank, cold, hard stare, three to five seconds can seem like an eternity. But if you're looking at someone and your face is engaged and you're sending out some warm friendship signals that there's a fluid expression on your face, if you're talking to someone one-on-one, honestly, you could look at someone for 30, 60 seconds at a stretch without any discomfort on either side. We do that all the time in our casual relationships. But it's the lack of interactivity that creates the negative response. That makes perfect sense. And let's jump back. I know you were going to expand on your response after you spoke about posture, volume, and eye contact. You know, again, three things that can make an immediate impact. 
as long as someone creates that habit. You mentioned there were two other things that are more commonly seen in your work with legal professionals. What are those? There can be a lot of things that can derail your style and they can be individual to each person. Like one person might bob their head a lot when they speak and somebody else might have a tendency to trail off at the ends of every sentence, that kind of thing. So it can be unique to the individual. But the two negative behaviors that I see the most often that almost everyone that I work with has to address is the overuse of fillers. So that's the uhs, the ums, you know, kind of sort of actually, basically, I mean, right, okay, all of those, that padding in the conversation is very, very prevalent. And the overuse of the uptalk or the misplaced upward inflection. And that's when there's a little question mark at the end of the sentence, this sort of thing, or my pitch goes up instead of down at the end of a sentence. So these are very, very prevalent. And almost always when people are doing these behaviors, they are not consciously aware that they are doing them. And so that the first stage in correcting it is just being aware that it's there. And (laughs) so here's another sort of good news, bad news. And that's that unfortunately we can hold it against others. We can be frustrated with others because they have too many fillers or too much upward inflection and still do the very same behaviors ourselves. That's very, very common that we notice it in others, but not in ourselves. One of the things about, of course, having a podcast and having interviewed hundreds of people at this point is that we notice them. I definitely notice them in myself. And it's something that over time in working with our editors, the editor I use, Gretchen, is quite aware of what she knows I would want to have taken out. Most people are not listening to their voice on a weekly basis and not looking to edit their own communication. And of course, for my guests, you know, some of them are stronger than others. And frankly, it pretty much goes along the lines you would expect, right? The more seasoned people may have worked those out. A lot of times, and I will say a more seasoned person will probably speak slower, not always, but will speak with those breaks, will take breaks, will use silence to pace a conversation. What are your hints? I see that as a great example. How do you educate your clients, the people that you're working with as to how to take out those fillers? Let's attack that first. Well, you're absolutely right. The solution for eliminating the fillers is to pause, to just leave that empty space there. But that is certainly easier said than done because most people have developed the problem with the fillers because they are uncomfortable pausing. From the inside, a pause can seem like it's just interminable, but from the outside, pausing raises your status. You come across as more relaxed, more on point, more articulate. It's good customer service because it allows the person you're speaking to to take the information that they've just received and lock it down and retain it. So pausing is a very high status skill set, but people are uncomfortable with it. The very first stage of learning to pause is to be willing to come to a complete stop at the end of your sentence. Actually snap, two snaps at the ends of their sentences so that they can come to a full stop and get comfortable with that. Once they have grown comfortable with that, then I invite them to put that two snap pause anywhere within the sentence. And it doesn't even have to be at the punctuation. That isn't necessarily where we pause when we're truly speaking extemporaneously. We usually pause either at the important idea or if we are in fact processing and trying to find that next word. And that's very natural, very comfortable for the listener. It doesn't have to be at the punctuation. But once you've learned how to pause and you're comfortable with that, then pause throughout and just be willing to take up a little more temporal space. 
For our listeners, I have tried that exercise as a result of having gone to your talk at Clock, and it is really an interesting one to experiment with. For me, it was incredibly helpful. When I'm in meetings that are either video or audio based, I tend to use my mute button as a way to ensure that I'm taking breaks, especially when presenting to leadership, to customers, to make sure that I am not filling in where you know I don't think it will put me in a strong light. So I think what a great idea to use the snap, to use a mute button, to use some tool to get used to that, to putting in that pause. Why do you think most people are uncomfortable with the pause? We'll say that there is a tendency for people to speak too quickly in this day and age. And so therefore, people might have a sense that if they're not speaking, somebody else will either interrupt them or they will be boring. Or maybe if they speak quickly, they won't take up so much of the other person, the important person's time. So it is actually a very low status, lacking in confident attitude that causes people to speed up and not take pauses. And as I said, the more confident we are that we have something important to say, that we have the status to take the floor, the more likely people are to truly have pauses where there is nothing happening. And now a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com backslash left foot and download a free title to start listening. That's audibletrial.com backslash left foot. Let's talk about the upward inflection. Is there an exercise you can suggest to our listeners where they can start to look at that and see if there's an opportunity to correct it? Yes. I first have to say that if we compare this to fillers, usually seven out of eight people have to work on eliminating fillers as a very, very high priority. When it comes to the upward inflection, typically about six out of eight have to work on the problem. So it's very, very prevalent. However, people are willing to admit that they have a problem with fillers, but nobody wants to admit that they have an issue with the upward inflection. So the very first part of the learning curve is to have people listen to themselves when they are recorded. And especially in an introduction, people are very, very commonly using an upward inflection when they introduce who they are and what they do for a living. And partly because they are trying to come across as friendly or collaborative or something along that line. So the first stage is just being willing to admit that, yes, this is something you could focus on. One of the easiest exercises to help someone hear the downward inflection is to have them read something out loud. I have never once heard someone who has English as their native language read using upward inflections. It's just a very natural, straightforward way of speaking that we, when reading out loud or when we're just having a conversation and it's not very colloquial, we start at a mid to high pitch and we cascade downward. Similar to that sentence I just said, we start at a mid to high pitch and we cascade downward. So when I have somebody read, then they can hear, oh, that is the natural pattern to cascade in this downward flow. And by hearing that that's the natural flow, then I ask them to speak more extemporaneously using the very same pattern and hopefully they can make that transfer. 
I had the opportunity early in the Left Foot podcast to interview a number of people who were squarely in the millennial age category. And what I was noticing, and they were not reading, is they were much more monotone and they were Native American English speakers. Is there a difference by age group, areas of the country, how much inflection we're seeing, or is it just individual to individual? There is definitely an age demographic. And that is that people who are, well, actually, let me give you the origin of the upward inflection. This dialect came about in the 1980s with the Valley Girls. And Valley Girls, they had their unique sound that differentiated them. And at that time, as I said, the typical way of speaking in English is to start high and end low. The Valley Girls did the exact opposite. They started low and ended high. So I'll give an example. I could say using the standard dialect, something like, the other day I went to the Golden Gate Bridge. The Valley Girls would have done that exactly opposite, start low and high. So the other day I went to the Golden Gate Bridge. So they were rebels at the time with this really unique sound. This habit just took off. And so now it is it become very prevalent in our society. So if you were already an adult in 1980, it sounded really strange to you. And so the people who were already fully established in terms of their sound culture, their way of speaking by that time, tend to hear that that dialect as really odd and lightweight. But if you have grown up in this culture where that's just a part of the sound culture, it just doesn't sound as lightweight. It actually might sound friendly or collaborative or trendy which would be a positive. So I will say that the younger demographic is much more likely to use that upward inflection than the older demographic. People are concerned about presenting themselves or having the appearance and sounding as if they have imposter syndrome. And it sounds like that's what's creeping into the language by having a lack of confidence in a speech pattern. Have you heard that before? Is that something that has been raised with you when you're working with clients? Absolutely. That's very prevalent out there. Actually, one of the questions I get all the time is about being authentic. And how can you follow the ground rules of the credibility code? How can you follow these and intentionally build this skill set and still come across as authentic at the same time? And so I have a very different view on what authenticity means. To me, what being authentic means is that the adjectives you would use to describe yourself are the adjectives that other people would also use to describe you. That's how you come across as authentic. And if it means that in order to have people, if you see yourself as competent, capable, fully able to take on higher level responsibilities, but other people aren't seeing that about you, well, changing your behavior so that other people do see that about you, I don't see that as inauthentic at all. (laughs) I see that as only positive. You are getting more of what you want. People are seeing you more accurately. So if you have to change your behavior so others view you the way you view yourself, well, that is authentic. That is fantastic. So let's dive in more on the Credibility Code. And for our listeners, the Credibility Code is a book and and I would say, Kara, a methodology that you have written about and now speak about in your work and educate others too. And it's about finding or identifying 25 visual and auditory cues all within our active control. So let's say if you could, there's 25, if you could describe 
those 25 generally, if there's specific some that you believe, you know, most professionals, people that are, you know, if we're thinking about our listener base, they're highly educated, right? So they're a highly educated group of listeners and being lawyers and partners and law firms and lawyers and in-house legal departments. What are the ones that they struggle with most? Possibly one or two. Oftentimes when it comes to posture, I do first want to say that when people struggle, it's almost always because they are unaware that they're exhibiting a certain behavior and not because the behavior itself is difficult to change. So that's the starting point. An example of that might be that it's very common. Someone will speak and jiggle their head, bob their head while talking. And keeping your head still and level while speaking is a very high status behavior. So just inviting someone to keep their head still, helping them to cultivate that behavior, it goes a long way toward raising executive presence. Regarding the speaking voice, oftentimes people aren't aware that they're not speaking at optimal volume. In other words, they even have a calibration issue where inside their head, it sounds like they're speaking at a pretty high volume, but on the outside, it's actually not very loud. And if I will say, if you have someone in your life where you continually ask them to speak up and they don't, the likelihood that that individual has a calibration issue is extremely high because we all do want to come across at our best. So that person is actually thinking they're talking louder than they are. This is very, very common. And so it's one of the things I would address. If you as an individual get feedback regularly that you need to speak up, it's very likely you have a calibration issue. And speaking up would go a long way toward increasing your influence and your ability literally to be heard. That is one that someone would tell you if you weren't speaking loudly. But if your head was bobbing, no one's going to tell you. And so this is where a lot of these skills can be somewhat invisible until they are pointed out. When we are giving someone feedback, we don't necessarily identify what the exact behavior is that's in the way, but we can clearly identify what the quality is. In other words, you might look at someone and say, well, I'd really like you to come across as more confident, or I'd love for you to be just a little more approachable, or I'd like to see more authority in your style. We get that kind of feedback regularly in the workplace, but it doesn't identify what the actual behavior is that needs to be changed. And sometimes the behavior is really simple. So in this particular case, if if you are getting feedback that you're not coming across as authoritative as you could, well, the very first thing I would check is how still are you? Are you keeping your head level? The second thing I would check is, is your volume at optimal? Because softer volume leads to less power. And are you holding eye contact? Do you really look at the person you're speaking to? All of those things would increase authority. More of the 25 skills. It's such an interesting concept. It's true that I identified 25 very specific behaviors that can raise your status. No one would need to work on all of them. Every one of us, we couldn't be where we are in the workplace at the moment without having some of those skills on our side already. And being able to identify of those behaviors, which do you personally need to work on to raise your game? That's helpful. If I take just the category of voice, for example, having a stronger voice is the overall goal. But specifically, that would mean speak at optimal volume. The next behavior would be speak at a relaxed pace. Then the next would be articulate clearly. The more clearly you enunciate, the more intelligent you will come across. The next behavior would be have more expression in your voice. Make sure you highlight your message with expression and vocal variety. And then the final voice skill is resonance. And that's your ability to have richness and depth to your voice. 
Those are all fantastic. And what's interesting about them, it's your delivery enunciation. My husband's in the music business and we talk about artists who have good diction that you can clearly hear as they're singing the words in which they're saying. So if I might piggyback on that for a second, I had an attorney call me a few years ago asking for some coaching. And he had this huge list of successes on his side, things that he had accomplished. He had status by title and his resume gave him status. But on the phone, his level of articulation was so lazy and so soft. It was hard for me to believe that he wasn't in fact an imposter. It was hard for me to believe his credentials. His articulation did not back him up. Now, as it turns out, it was true. In writing, in his workplace, he was a superstar. And by working on his articulation, then that was immediately apparent. Once he corrected that problem, he showed up as a superstar, even on first meeting him. I would imagine. And of course, having been in business for many years, you meet people along the way and you're wondering how they got there because they're clearly not presenting themselves with that kind of credibility, especially in today's world. We're not just on the phone. I do work for a company. We do everything on video. Hence for the physical presence, because of course, that's part of the credibility code as well is what can we do besides the stillness of the head, standing up straight, being still? Is there one or two other points that our listeners can look to embrace? For sure. Pointing your nose directly toward the person you're speaking to is another very key signal that comes across as either being straightforward or direct. The conversation of looking out the corner of your eye or giving someone the side eye. It is not accidental that we use those phrases to describe something somebody being a little shady or distant. And so being able to point your nose directly toward the person you're speaking to raises your status, helps you to come across as more straightforward. You were mentioning video and video conferencing. And I like to apply these very same skills to my video conferencing. Most of my video conferencing, I'm sitting at my desk looking at my computer. And so I will, in order to come across as more engaged, more straightforward, I will make sure that my chair is up high enough so that I'm as much on the level with that camera as possible, that my chin isn't raised or looking down, that I have moved the thumbnail image of the person I'm speaking to up near the camera. So as much as possible, it looks like I'm actually looking at them instead of looking down at them. And so I I use, oh, and I also have some lights on each side of my computer so that it tends to give the impression that I have some sunlight coming in on my face rather than being dark and dingy. So I've given some very intentional thought to making sure that the image that I'm projecting on video conference is well, quite literally in my best light so that I will just raise my level of play a bit, even in that what I do consider to be a more difficult communication setting. Those are fantastic pieces of advice, especially the moving of the thumbnail. They're all terrific, but that is such a factor for so many. Kara, you have a lot of energy about what you do. I did have the opportunity to see you speak. You speak with a lot of humor and you convey ideas that for many people are right on point as to what they're dealing with or looking to improve. What do you enjoy most about the work that you do? It's so fun to see people transform. And believe it or not, it's fairly easy to transform once you get some feedback. When I'm working with someone, there's two parts of it. Not only after 
some sort of workshop or training, do they immediately up-level their overall skill set? But because they have up-leveled their skill set, they have a little bit more internal confidence. One of the things we say at Speech Skills is that when you build a strong skill set, an authentic mindset of confidence will follow. And many people want to have that mindset of confidence and they try to build their mojo, which may or may not work for them. But skill sets are very tangible, which means you put in the effort, progress is inevitable. It's going to happen. And then that, in fact, leads to a much stronger mindset. It's a great point. And I think that idea of putting in some times, you will see an improvement. Very few people are going to try to work on something and go the opposite direction. So that is a terrific point. Kira, thank you for sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? I think it's really important to get feedback. And it doesn't have to come from a professional. It can come in many, many different ways. You can set up a video camera in your office or in your living room and cover some material that you would usually cover with a client or a colleague, and then watch it from the outside and see what kind of behaviors are going on. Getting any kind of feedback, ask your colleagues people that are close to you, your trusted advisors out there, what they think your strengths are and areas for improvement. Feedback is a vital component to up-leveling. I would encourage you, no matter what level you are, to get some outside feedback so you aren't blind to something that could be in your way. Fantastic. That is a terrific last point. Kara, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. I've enjoyed it, Nicole. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.